Hello and welcome to Fact Schmacks. It's the podcast good enough to get you a C. Minus. My name's Matten. Oh, I've got a story to tell you today. And my name's Kev. I have a story to interrupt. Hey, did you know that oh God, the color? Yeah, did you know that the color orange is named after the fruit? Dude, that was one of my facts. Really? Oh, that's gonna <laughs> <Yeah>. happen. <laughs> I think we need a new new bit. <laughs> I think we need a new new bit. Well, did we talk about how they used to call it yellow red? Yeah. That was one of my facts, you son of a bitch. Uh, you know what? I bailed. I bailed on the fact that I was gonna do. I was. I was gonna write this whole thing about how the. You know why the save icon is still. Uh, still a floppy disk, even though nobody uses it. Um, but. Uh, but I. It. It was too complicated to say a little bit. So I frantically searched one right before we recorded. And that, was like, that was like that was like a this same season thing. fact i'm pretty sure <laughs> that wasn't even like one of our early ones that was you know season two well i'm i've been sick yeah <laughs> try well, again let's let's <laughs> we're keeping it <laughs> did you um did you see, well, I know you saw, I'm just using this as a device. Did you see that the U.S. government made a statement about Havana Syndrome? Yeah, I did. Which we we did an episode on, and uh, the government came out and more or less admitted that there is no hostile cause to Havana Syndrome. There's no directed energy weapon or acoustic weapon that is causing these people's, you know, either stress or, as some people have noted, hangover-like symptoms. Dude, um, this has been a really bad year for great conspiracies. We had <laughs> really the we had been. the balloon thing where they're like, "Yeah, it turns out we spent a couple mil and just shot some shit down that uh, <laughs> we're not even gonna look for it. We're that convinced it was nothing." Yeah, other than the first one, which was well, the first one. Yeah, the first one was, but everything thereafter was just you know I had the highest of hopes for for this uh, conspiracy. I was like. Things are really heating up. We're going to find some shit out now. Nah, nothing. Nope. Same with this Havana um, syndrome. Yeah, it turns out it's just nothing. Great. Well, I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry yeah. for your loss. Yeah. I was once again corrected my analysis. Other than I, that what I said about the, the balloons. <laughs> so I'm one for two. Because you were more right than me. You said that they're probably actually just nothing. Yeah, that, uh, as much as I wanted <laughs> to believe, I think the reality that I knew they would just be nothing. Yeah. Uh, a knee-jerk reaction to the, the Chinese spy balloon. Would you like to get to some original facts? <laughs> <laughs> some facts that have never been shared on the show before? In, sure. In this week's game of facts schmacks. You ready for this? Can't wait. I'm very excited. So it's uh, <clears throat> it's March when we're recording this. Probably by the time this comes out, we'll be near or about St. Patrick's Day. So I have some St. Patrick's facts for you. Ooh. Fact or schmacked, Matt. Yes. Although St. Patrick is the patron saint of Ireland, who's most popular for converting pagan Irish people in the 5th century AD to Christianity, uh... Although he's a clear apostle of Ireland, Patrick was actually British. 
and maybe not even British, maybe Scottish. They think either Wales or Scotland, but not Ireland. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that he, makes. He came to Ireland actually as a slave. No. So figure that. Is that, out. Is that part of fact, this fact or schmacked, Matt? He once <laughs> refused. You'll like this one. He once refused yep. to suck a man's breast. That's right. He once refused to suck a man's breast. After okay. escaping slavery, Patrick fled to the east of the Emerald Isle, where he boarded a ship to Britain. The captain of the ship tried to force the young Patrick to acknowledge his position in a common gesture of the time. The act of sucking the captain's breast was a ritual often demanded of passengers believed to need authority during the crossing. What? <laughs> yeah, you heard me. <laughs> there is a lot to digest there. Fact or schmacked, <laughs> despite popular belief that St. Patrick banished snakes from Ireland, it is rumored that the patron saint of Ireland was in fact an inquisitive zoologist and friends to animal of all types. Hmm. Tick tock, huh. my friend. Tickety tockety. Um, <laughs> I can. <laughs> I'm falling back on this. This this has never steered me wrong yet. I don't think you could have made up the suck in the breast thing. You don't think so? Has to, I don't think so. You don't think I could have taken two random facts and created one? <sighs> you don't think I would have looked up weird, weird facts in my hunt for uh, fact schmacks over the Weird years facts about I, i'm not sitting on a small collection of very strange and troubling facts <laughs> uh, you do you do you my friend i don't like the way that you described them <laughs> so the first fact is that he was not irish not irish even though he's like the irish. irish guy i mean saint patrick's day is all about the irish spirit mhm he's not even irish the not even Irish. Yeah. The second fact is that he refused to suck is that a he man's refused breast. to suck a man's breast along with a very a, a treasure trove of supplemental breast sucking information. Yeah. Uh, and then these all have supplemental inter, uh, information. The whole purpose of the show is to inform and entertain <laughs> and delight. Um, you've stumped me. Yeah. I got nothing to go on here other than I'm... Oh. The third ones... The third and the first one are the more boring ones, and those tend to be... I'm, wow. TikTok, friend. TikTok, TikTok. I'm just... Okay. Oof. Oof. I'm going to regret it. I'm going to regret it. I'm saying... I'm saying the third one is the schmacked. Uh, you got me. <laughs> yeah, I just... Uh, <laughs> so you believe that you refuse... I mean, refuse to suck a man's breast. The fact that that's a notable fact, though, to me, just... It's troubling. Very troubling. There's a lot that I found troubling about the, the idea of, of sucking on a sweaty old man's teat as a form of Dude, fealty. listen... I don't know. I don't know what your chest hair stitch is like. I imagine now that you have a pool, I'll find out intimately. But you know, <laughs> typically in I've our got friendship, a hockey team, five aside. 
typically in our in our relationship, we've kept our clothes on. Uh, yeah. So I don't know exactly costs. what you're packing under there, but I've got like a pretty good little, uh, you know, tuft of fur that, uh, and I've got these like hairs that go around my nipples. And I one time had like, I shit you not, a three inch nipple hair. It was just bizarrely long. I don't know how it got there. Um, it's weird. That's a fact about me. How, how dare you tell me that? Yeah, it's weird. And I can't imagine asking someone to suckle for safe uh, passage. Yeah. I mean, that would joke, you would think that would joke that a man. Safe passage, you would think safe passage involves not, not doing not that. Not suckling my breast. Yeah. yeah. So I want I, I kind of want to look into this more, but I was afraid to Google it. So uh, for now, we'll just have to, you know, let your imagination do your thing. I know what that's about. My search engine history is troubling after like the <laughs> Nadellan incident where I'm looking up ICBM fuels. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyhow, uh, you have a story for me. I sure do, buddy. Okay. I sure as shit do. Once, not so very long ago, sweet alcohol, that beast, brought warmth and sweetness to our lives. But then Once the price increased. And so cocaine and morphine, Berliners now select. Let let lightning flashes rage outside. We snort and we inject. And dinner in the restaurant, the waiter brings the tin of coke for us to feast upon. Forget whiskey and gin. Let drowsy morphine take its subcutaneous effect upon our nervous system. We snort and we inject. These medications aren't allowed, of course they're quite forbidden, but even such illicit treats are very seldom hidden. Euphoria awaits us, though as we suspect, our foes can't wait to shoot us down, we snort and we inject. And if we snort ourselves to death or into the asylum, our days are going downhill fast, how better to beguile them. Europe's a madhouse anyway, no need for genuflecting. The only way to paradise is snorting and injecting. That was a popular song in the 1920s uh, in Germany. Wow. Uh, We do not, uh, as a society, maybe talk enough about how widespread drug use was in 1920s Germany. Um. While the, you know, picture in our heads of Germans, you know, heading towards fascism is probably one of like populist outrage and increasingly martial attitudes uh, towards world at large. The reality in, in many parts of Germany were very different. It was social cohesion completely falling apart and people doing a lot of drugs, a lot of drugs. Uh, while strictly speaking illegal to have recreationally, uh, after a certain point, I can't I can't remember exactly when you needed a prescription at a certain point. Cocaine was nev- nevertheless uh, nearly omnipresent uh, in Bavarian nightlife. Imagine like BC pot cafes, but instead of pot, you're handed a tray, and you know after dinner, here's the cocaine to you know get you get you pepped up and ready for the rest of your night out on the town. Um, you know, they're serving it at cabaret shows. Now, in the Nazis' rise to power in 33, uh, they did not like that particular uh, part of 
society. While already illegal, the the Nazis cracked down on cocaine and opioid opioid use uh, in a way that the Weimar Republic never had. Um, you know, in in the Weimar Republic, the gov- that transition government, you know, between uh, World War One and and World War or and the Nazi government. Yeah. Um, the attitude towards drug addiction had generally been, you know, drug, drug addicts are are redeemable. Um, Nazi attitudes were a little different. They tended to no. look at, you know, that sort of thing as as like a fundamental flaw of the person. And, you know, either how their attitudes were towards fundamentally flawed people and uh, uh, yeah. or who they saw as fundamentally flawed. Yeah, that's a better they, way to put it. Yeah. Um, you know, gone were the days when you could just say a drug addict is harming themselves. Everybody has to honor their Teutonic heritage and culture. Your body belongs to the tribe and you're not allowed to waste it like that. Um, you know, and there also, like I said, a lot of pseudoscience involved in. Let's, let's discuss the time period here for a minute. And let's sure. talk about some some drugs. You know, you, you see a lot of old cough medicines and stuff were basically like, you know, meth, essentially. And it, it, like Coca-Cola had cocaine in it for a point. Or heroin. Heroin was a cough medicine. Heroin was something they recommended for babies with colic. Heroin was something that was sold over the counter. Man, I'm so I think glad it was the, that I created never by the Bayer Corporation. Wouldn't doubt it. Like I, uh, a, a lot of this stuff comes out of Germany. Yeah, I smoke. I smoke weed, and I have since I was a young lad. Um, and I, I used to drink. You know that. Uh, I don't drink anymore. Basically, all I do is smoke weed. But I, I've always known. I think that if I try cocaine or any hard drug one time, that's it. That's curtains for me. I think, and that's always kept me from doing it. But, you know, uh, back in the day, like that shit was, I don't know if it was, when did they start the reefer madness? Like when, didn't they make a weed illegal in the the 30s? Yeah, in the 30s, yeah. So like prior to that, it was kind of, I mean, if you could get it, was it just open season, do you think? Or You know, that's not what I wrote an episode about, so... (laughs) That's yeah. a great question. <laughs> well, I just, and one more thing, you know, the 20s and the Weimar Republic in, in Germany, like they had a very heavy restitutions to pay after World War One, and that created yeah. a really bad inflation and a really bad economy. And typically, uh, I know when you start to see things go down the rails on a socioeconomic level, that's when a lot of drug abuse does spike because... Well, and also consider how many deeply, deeply psychologically and physically wounded people are walking around at the time. Oh, man. Everything I've learned about World War I, everything I've seen, uh, just horrific. Have you watched the new uh, All Quiet on the Western Front on Netflix? No, I really should. Excellent. Excellent movie. Excellent. Yeah, that's not something I think my son's ready for, so I got to be pretty picky about when I watch that. Yeah, you should Um, watch it, though. Yeah. So... Um, you know, in, in the Nazi regime, there was, uh, um, you'd be, if you were a drug addict, you would be essentially, you would see a physician until they decided that you were irredeemable and then they'd send you, send you the concentration camp. No proud German could use anything like an opioid or cocaine. Wait, so they would cure you of your addiction, then send you to the concentration camp? No, no. If they couldn't cure you of your addiction. Oh, if they couldn't. Sorry. I was like, man, that's. 
Yeah, that's uh, rough, eh? Yeah, that's um, that's a shitty yeah, prize. No, totally alien to the German experience to use drugs like that, um, you know, according to the Nazis. Now, meth, on the other hand, amphetamine was first discovered in Germany in 1887 by a Romanian chemist named Lazar. Oh, wait, that's breaking bad. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> named Lazar uh, Edelinu. I probably really butch- butchered that. Uh, but it was the 1930s German drug manufacturer, the Temmler Phart- Pharmaceutical. <laughs> Pharmaceutical? Pharmaceutical. <laughs> I wish that had just, you just kept going with that. Uh, Sorry, carry on. The Temmler Pharmaceutical Company, uh, they started marketing methamphetamine under the trade name Pervitin. Now, this was a drug the right could get behind. It made everybody more alert, more productive, it made people have more sex. The night watchman could finish finish his shift uh, without falling asleep. The assembly line worker was way more into his job. Seemed like a brain superfood that was all upside, baby. And, you know, worth noting, they weren't the only ones. American athletes at the Berlin Olympics had all been allegedly on meth, and they had done super. Um, Okay, hold up. Hold up. Yo. Yo. So you're telling me. I'm telling that you, Olympians are competing on meth. Yes, in the 30s, what was the, the meth like Berlin back then Olymp- versus the meth now? Because I can't even like, I mean, these people can't even stand up straight when you see them on the street. So, from what I understand, uh, there is about as much amphetamine, uh, methamphetamine, in one pervitin capsule as there would be in a typical crystal meth dose. Now, I don't know enough about crystal meth to know what a typical dose is and how that would actually compare. I think you're hurt a lot more with that stuff, that stuff by like the diesel and rat poison and stuff that they're oh, cutting it with. So um, but you know, back in the day you, you're getting the good stuff, baby. Just you're getting good, high good. quality, high quality, pure meth. Crystal blue. Yeah. You uh-huh. haven't watched a lot of breaking bad. Have you? No, no. So all my meth references are just going to go over your head. That's fine. Keep making them because presumably I'm the only weirdo that <laughs> that has show. no idea. It's and other people will appreciate shows. it. So good, Brian Cranston. Um, I, I I'm very familiar with it. It just came out at the wrong time for me. Sure. Hmm. Um. So one guy in Germany, Professor Otto Ranke. Uh, who was the head of the Institute for Military Psychology. He had seen how regular folks were benefiting from living chemically, uh, and he thought his soldiers could use some of that pep in their step. So he did some trials, which all looked super, super great, and soon enough, the average stormtrooper is carrying around a shiny bottle of Pervitin. Now, the Germans were able to use meth to great advantage, uh, apparently anyways, in the Battle of France, um, the uh, uh, breaking of the Maginot Line. That was apparently they Blitzkrieg. were all, Yeah, they were part of Blitzkrieg was that they were all super methed out. For anybody Fought who like, doesn't know, Blitzkrieg it loosely, I guess, translates to lightning warfare. So mm-hmm. hit them hard, hit uh, them the fast, idea, gain ground. Hit, and the use of combined arms, mm-hmm. um, you no, know, planes, planes go tanks, in and then, yeah, infantry. troops, troops going with the tanks, mm. uh, 
that's actually what we're going to get to that in uh, in just one second. Uh, not only did they fight fiercely, but they would fight after marching at tank speed all day while still maintaining a high level of alertness and readiness. That was the big part of Blitzkrieg yeah. was, you know, now it's, it you know, we take for granted combined arms now means like a troop troop movement vehicles supported by tanks you know if they're doing operations the troops get out the tanks are supporting the troops the troops supporting the tanks everything's moving at a high rate of speed you know these guys are marching very very fast you know to keep up with these tanks and doing it for a long time again because they're all on crystal meth cannot stress enough how much they were on crystal meth Uh, for example operation tiger to break through the Maginot line uh, pivotal battle essentially wipes France off the board. It races what fifteen hundred years of military re- history and reputation. You know, right. gone after this. Uh, for that one operation, the Germans ordered thirty-five million Pervitin tablets. Jesus, <laughs> just to give you an idea there. Um, Rave now. About this time, though, you know, as you can imagine, there's there's only so long that society at large can be hooked on crystal meth before, like, people start to notice that this isn't great, right? Yeah. Yeah, you got to so be people, jonesing for those pills at some point. Right. That's one of the things that people start to notice is it's really hard to give this stuff up. It seems to be really, really addictive. Yeah. Um, and people, you know, if they do them too much, stuff's happening like their hearts are just stopping, uh, which isn't great. Or they're going crazy or they're hurting themselves or hurting other people. Um, and this started happening in the, the military ranks, too. They noticed that, you know, it's great for a day or two when your soldiers are all amped up and they're they're marching and they're fighting. But you lose them for a few days after to just, I mean, what? you could describe as a meth hangover sure um and just from sheer exhaust exhaustion yeah like you don't Uh, get that energy from nowhere right Right. it's coming out of your it's coming out of your body yeah um and uh you know that's if they they didn't have lose people to infighting or you know didn't have uh lose people from having uh difficulty keeping cohesion um you know it was all well and good when they're like charging to the Atlantic Ocean, but when they're fighting different kinds of defensive battles, having people go crazy and run off and and do wild things isn't so much of an advantage. Um, and uh, and also they had a tendency to commit suicide as well, uh, a lot of paranoia. So about, I feel like uh, there'd nine- be a lot. Like if if okay, sorry to interrupt here, but it is my yeah, job. Nope. Uh, yeah, I feel like if I'm in the German army in World War II under the Nazis, granted the uh, Wehrmacht, they didn't, they weren't necessarily like the SS who did a lot of the atrocities and stuff. But Germany always they did enough. They did enough. Germany always had a very heavy hand when dealing with uh, local populations, partisans, all that stuff. There would be, you know, summary executions and and just the fact that you are. you know strolling across europe taking uh causing all this death and destruction and and you're living under a fascist uh government like i mean there'd be a lot of reasons to be kind of paranoid and for maybe the the very uh you know yeah the situation isn't good to add meth to 
Yeah, like, so I don't know how many good somebody situations who's already got there a, are. Who's already kind of not feeling right about everything, and you you get them all tweaked out on on hard drugs, and yeah, I could see that happening a lot. Oh, yeah, a lot of really, I'm sure a lot of really, really sad stories Dude, uh, the, come out of that time. I've read so many um, stories about World War II, and it's all just tragedy. Yeah, a lot of it. By 1941, um, the the powers that be in in the German military realized we can't just have like unlimited meth use on the in the army. That's that's crazy. So they rationed it. They did the uh, they did the smart thing, and so they they would only send enough for one tablet per soldier per day and two per night, um, which is still a lot of meth, right? But you know, at least they they rationed it now. When do you think German soldiers stopped getting meth as part of their normal kit? When do I think? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe during like the phony war period where they had already pushed the allies into the uh, English uh, channel there and uh, things were kind of slow, maybe. Yeah. During occupation. I think that's maybe when they would have stopped it. Um, so... On the western side of Berlin, soldiers stopped getting pervitin as part of their regular kit in the 70s. And on the eastern side, it was just before the wall fell in the 80s. No shit. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Now, I bet you're wondering, I'm what wondering would it be lot. like? What would it be like to fight a war? On a little bit of meth. Okay, I bet that let's would be break a pretty that down into three different things. What okay. would it be like to fight a war? Yeah, horrible, traumatizing. What would it be like uh -huh. to try meth? Because I've never done uh -huh. it. Uh, right, probably pretty wild. I uh, bet. Put the two together. Right. What? Now, an interesting question, right? Sure. Way more interesting question. What would it be like to fight a war on way too much meth? Okay. Once again, I'm just going to have to defer to my imagination here and say uh, horrible. <laughs> you don't need to defer to your imagination because I'm going to tell you about Imo Koivinen. Okay. Now, Imo Koivinen was a Finnish soldier that in 1944 was fighting along... Haha. Uh, well, he was fighting uh, yeah. alongside the Germans in 1944 against the Russians. Finland has a very complicated history in World War yeah. II. They, they fought on every side of it at one point. But yeah. in 1944, they're fighting with the Germans against the Russians. So he's on ski patrol, which probably sounds way more fun than it was. Um, but picture, like, have you ever seen True Lies? Yes. Or I think there's this there's been a bunch of movies. This is the one that springs to mind for me. But like guys on on skis with machine guns. Oh yeah, they had they had like the uh, the Alpine group that that would do uh, cross country skiing and and whatnot. And he's one of those guys. Sure, yeah. So him and his unit, they've been on the move, patrolling an area of northwest Russia near Finland for two days nonstop, uh, and it was time for them to take a break. They start building their camp to hunker down. 
uh, and rest, and then they are rudely interrupted by a group of Russian soldiers. A firefight breaks out, but the Finns realize pretty quickly that they are outnumbered, and they decide that they need to make a hasty retreat. So they start booking it out there with Imo at the head of the pack. Now, um, again, I just want to remind you, this is soldiers on skis chasing and shooting other soldiers on skis. Awesome. Just, I mean, sometimes we can just appreciate that some things that happened in the war were, <laughs> would have been wild to see. Sure. I mean, every, every one of those people is a human tragedy uh, when that happens, but I, uh, you know, every once in a while, you just got to appreciate the the fun images that you get. Now, um, again, this is like a, a ski chase. He's at the head of the pack. He is tired. He's doing his best to ski as hard as he can. But man, it's been two days they've been at it. And he's got guys behind him and they are yelling at him to get going and get going. And he just he can't get going fast enough. And he remembers that he's the guy who's been trusted to carry oh, the entire troop's ration of pervitin, which would have been about 30 capsules. So he pulls the tin out and he's trying to ski and he's trying to get the tin out and he's trying to just get one capsule in his hand and it's hard, right? And he manages to basically just get all 30 capsules in his hand and he shoves all 30 capsules in his mouth. Uh, and uh, boy, he got a burst of speed. He was able to uh, to perk right up. He gets the short term burst of speed that he needs. They get away from the Russians, him and his his uh, comrades. Uh, but he starts to notice that things around him are starting to look a little funny. Motion blur. ground is kind of shaking and shifting, getting fuzzy. People are very fuzzy. And he's starting to lose track of little bits of time. Now, the soldiers that he was with, they're, they've noticed <laughs> that something is up with Imo. Uh, and so while he was distracted, they took his ammo. They took Imo's ammo. Yeah. Which was smart, probably. Yeah, probably. Um, it's not long before he's losing big bits of time. And in fact, the rest of this story... Uh, is basically just told from his perspective in flashes of consciousness or lucidity. Uh, he, he does not know what he was doing in the interim bits. And sometimes he's not really sure what he's doing in the bits we do know about. Um, so from his perspective, he's with his, his buddies and everything's getting a little fuzzy. And then he wakes up and he's alone. Uh, he has no supplies in his bag, and he has no bullets. He has no idea where he is or how much time has passed since he was last lucid or conscious. Um, he decides that the best course of action for him is to head back to Finland. So with his trusty compass, he uh, starts heading back west, you know, and soon, soon he finds himself arguing with his comrades about where they were and yeah, and he spots a billow of smoke off the distance, and he agrees with his buddies there that yeah, we should go. Uh, we should go check that out. Now, if you've been paying attention, you'll remember that which I had you just know said I that I always I'm, do, which, which uh, you always do. That I just said that Imo was alone. Um, he woke up falling down a hill. He had imagined the conversation with 
people. He had imagined people being there. He had not imagined the smoke. There was some sort of camp up ahead. He was hoping it was maybe some sympathetic Germans. But with the hill to his back and the camp in front of him, he really only had one option, which was to go through the camp uh, anyways. Uh, so um, he starts heading towards the camp, gets closer. He realizes, uh-oh, this is a bunch of Russians. These are not Germans. So he he can't really sneak around because he's in skis. I don't know how, how much maneuvering you've done in skis, but they're not sneaky. Exactly um, zero. Yeah. And if you take them off, I don't know. I mean, I know now you've got big ass boots, which essentially prevent your ankles from moving. Sneaking is probably not an option for him. Um, so what he does is uh, just books it through camp full speed. That's amazing. <laughs> just like, full methed out. Full super speed. It's just, I want to I, just picture what it would be like to be one of those Russians. You just, just like, like skate through, just give a wave, and guys uh, are like, well, he doesn't seem concerned. Maybe we should let him go. <laughs> no, they, they shot at him, and they did chase him. Uh, so he gets himself involved in another high-speed high ski chase where he's running away from Russians. He does this apparently for an hour. They're chasing him through the woods. He's barely getting away, or at least he thinks that they are. Um, anyways, it winds up, uh, you know, night falls snowstorm starts he's able to get away he's able to lose his pursuers and he sets up a small camp lights a little fire he boils some bark to make some tea and lays down to go to bed now as he's drifting off into whatever the closest approximation to sleep is when you're on way too much meth uh, he sees glowing eyes in the darkness and then a shape behind it it's a wolverine, bub, and it's coming right for him. He scrambles to his feet and unsheaths his nice knife. Sorry, not as nice. <laughs> Maybe it's a nice knife. I don't know. A, a great they knife. circle each other. They're snapping their fingers. Is this West Side Story? Yes, it is. <laughs> the wolverine, wolverine lunges, claws out. Imo thrusts his knife, and he wakes up. No wolverine. There's no knife. What he has done is punch a tree, and he was holding his compass when he did that. Oh, my God. Uh, so now his compass is broke. What? So de dejected and confused, Imo skis on. Soon, imagine his luck, he meets up with an old friend. And they sit and talk for a few moments before his friend says they ought to get moving along. And then Imo wakes up. He's alone. I highly doubt he ran into a friend. Every version of that just repeats that, and nobody. I I did not see a confirmation whether the friend was real. I'm just assuming. Friend, I don't think it was I real. Do not think the friend was real. Uh, now uh, he doesn't have his rifle or his backpack now either. He didn't have any bullets, so it's not like the rifle was doing him any good. But uh, he did have a t um, some it's pots and pans bluffing. in his backpack. Yeah, it was at least good for a bluff. So once again, dejected and confused, Imo skis on. And he comes across a cabin. Shelter! Hooray! He gathers up some wood and starts a fire. Right on the cabin floor. And he finds an old tin can to melt some snow in and have some water. And after he has his water, he lays down beside the fire, which again is just right on the wooden floor of a cabin. Seems like a so good idea. So it starts spreading. 
yeah, it starts spreading across the floor, but he doesn't, he's not really concerned. Every time it gets closer to him, he just kind of moves, but, uh, well, eventually the cabin burns down. So that, that wasn't great. So I most skis on. Next, he comes across a camp. Now he gets close and he calls out. No answer. This is like an army camp. Takes a few steps into the camp and then is blown backwards. He has stepped on a landmine and dummied his foot, which is not great. Could have been a lot worse. He is still alive, uh, but his foot and his leg are now in rough shape. Uh, And what he's found uh, is an abandoned German camp that they've they've mined and booby-trapped. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Now... Not only is his foot bleeding, but his winter gear has been compromised by being having a part of it torn to shreds. So he's he he's getting very cold. He decides he needs to get inside somewhere. He crawls towards a dugout that he can see. Desperately, one arm in front of the other, gets his hand up there, grabs the doorknob pulls himself up slowly clings to the handle as the door opens another booby trap Ima wakes up about 100 feet away from the smoking opening that used to be a door uh it had been rigged with an explosive uh even with all that meth this is too much for him the ass had been torn out of his pants um his foot is all fucked up and his head eyes and ears are in bad shape yes you were correct it was rigged to explode it's probably protected by the door to a certain extent. But um, he tears some of the remaining clothing off of his front. And he makes a tourniquet for his leg. Uh, he makes a small fire, is able to boil some water, and then just lays there. A couple days pass by when Imo hears shots. He prepares himself for what he thinks is Russians coming to get him. But uh, it turns out it was it was Finn's. He yells out and a soldier appears. Soldier tells Imo that <laughs> their captain had just stepped on a landmine and needed to be evacuated, but they would be get back to get him. Tried to argue, but no avail. They left. So he's just laying there again. No idea if they're going to remember him or if they were even real, if he had just imagined the whole thing. Some more days passed by. A Siberian Jay landed next to him. And slowly, 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 he lifted up his ski pole. And with the sort of strength and quickness that only deep levels of desperation and high levels of methamphetamine can provide, he brought down the pole and killed the bird. Plucked most of the feathers out and then ate it raw. Said it was delicious. So gross. Eventually, he was spotted by a German plane. And then he was rescued by German and Finnish troops who had been looking for him. When he was brought to a hospital, his heartbeat was measured at 200 beats per minute. He had been missing for two weeks. The guard post that he wound up in was 400 kilometers from where he had started. This is not a real story. And he weighed 43 kilograms. He actually, he lived, he survived. He lived to the ripe old age of 71, considering what he'd been through. I think that's a pretty ripe old age uh good for imo uh and that's that's the story of imo it's not gonna be our last word on drug use in the third reich i'm sure if you're familiar with the topic you might have 
noticed there was an important person we left out of that conversation or a, a lot of important people we left out of that conversation. We'll talk about that in a future episode. Yeah. But, uh... So, I gotta say, that is a tall-ass tale. Now, <laughs> That I is also, the story of Imo. I also want to tell... You knew, you knew this guy, too. We won't name him, but you might know who I'm talking about when I bring this up. A fella who had, like, a family friend that lived at their house... It, they called him like an uncle. I can't remember if it was like Al or something like that. And Buddy had done a lot of LSD. And he, yeah. was, he was a little bit of a weird dude. Now I kind of wonder if that's like Imo. If Imo afterwards was just always a little off for his experience. Like, is there not a I fatal amount of meth? Like, oh, yeah. Sure. Absolutely. So how does this last? Like, this dude takes a, a dose. An acute dose. Mm-hmm. And how does he survive? How does it last? Like, how do you get high for two weeks off this shit? Uh, I. It seems like a tall tale. I, I've never, you know, like that's the, where I'm the wrestler, like, oh, no, man. The wrestler X Pac. X Pac? Sean Waltman. X Pac. Sean okay. Walton. Um, uh, among other names, he's gone. I mean, Sean Walton is his name. He, he's he got a story about taking too much meth in a buddy's apartment in Florida. And it was, I, I can't remember exactly the way the story went, but it wound up like he took the meth and then he was left alone in the apartment for three days. And for the entire three days, he stood in the same spot. He did not move. Dude, that explains so for- much about my hometown. <laughs> but apparently his feet were were swollen meth can stay in you for a long time man i guess if you have oh, too shit. much of it your liver can't process I, it fast enough i think it's important that we do a fact max psa don't do drugs don't do meth unless you're gonna smoke some weed just you know keep it real unless you're you know you're you're under the age of majority in which case you should not do anything Mm-hmm. Uh, but definitely don't wall. do coke and meth and heroin and all that good stuff because it's not good stuff. No, no, no it's very bad. I've yeah, I've, I've lost friends from fentanyl and sure, yeah, me too. Um, a lot of people who have. It's yeah. funny. It, I've always like I've been tempted once or twice uh, to try like a harder drugs. You know, being a the type of person I am, I like to, I like to have a good time. And I just know that even if I thought like, you know, like you watch a Martin Scorsese film and, uh, he makes doing cocaine look so fun and like, you know, so cool. Like, yeah, that looks like a good time. I can't, I will never do it, man. Cause I will just, I will go right off the deep end. I know that about myself. I know that I didn't understand the appeal of cocaine until I hit about 35 and was like, oh, you don't have an endless reservoir of energy forever. <laughs> yeah, that too. Right. right? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Now I can't stay up past 10 o'clock. It's been offered to me on, you know, numerous occasions because I used to work at a bar and stuff, too, and go out with people after. And it's like, oh, this is this is the scene like that I don't really care for. But yeah. Uh, and I, I'm glad I never did it, but you know, I kind of like something like cocaine seems to me like, like it's more of a socially accepted drug. Uh, I don't know who like, like you see somebody 
tweaked out on meth or heroin and you're just like, yeah, I think that looks like a good time. But I mean, you know, who am I to judge? People get into things for all different reasons, but, uh, well, to be fair, like, I mean, I've never done cocaine either, but you know, me and you are the type of guy who maybe wouldn't turn their nose up at maybe mushrooms. If it was offered, (laughs) you look, you look at people on mushrooms and nobody's like, wow, that looks like a great time. I'd love to be a part of that. Great time. Predator (laughs) roofing. That was hilarious. (laughs) What about, uh, that is a joke for four people. You know what? When you were telling the story about, uh, Uma, Ima, what was his name again? Imo. 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 When you were talking about Imo there, I started thinking actually uh, to a mushroom experience of ours when we tried to go on an adventure at the cottage. <laughs> and I, I think, yeah. uh, I don't know if it was 10 minutes or an hour and a half, and all we managed to do was put shoes on and make it to the beach. Yeah. Like 10 oh, feet we, away. We didn't even make it all the way to the beach. No. It was dark too, so it was kind of... It's gl- it wasn't good that we didn't go. We'd have died. Yeah. It wasn't immediately obvious how much progress we had made, and I, I do recall having a moment where we realized we'd only made it about 15 or 20 feet. And I don't know what time frame <laughs> had passed. When you were talking about his, his story, I'm like, I could kind of relate where I'm like, yeah, I, I kind of know what you mean about that. Yeah, I think it's the opposite effect, though. You get a lot done. Yeah, yeah. If you've got the, if you've got the sufficient uh, Or you think you get motivation. a lot done. Well, he did. Yeah, he did. I, I need to look this up because I've never heard this story. And it just seems so, like, so grandiose that I'm just like, I mm-hmm. I don't, like, has anybody independently fact-checked, fact-checked, fact-checked this? I mean, us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is fact schmacks, not fact checks. <laughs> touche, touche. <laughs> Speaking of facts, how about a closing fact? Let's have it. All right. So this might lead to a small discussion. JFK's wife, Jackie Onassis, Jackie Kennedy at the time, Mm-hmm. Uh, as we all remember in that famous uh, day in November uh, 1963, I think. Doesn't matter. It's not Why? what, what the fact is. November 22nd, JFK was assassinated. That pink dress she was wearing. Uh, that pink dress has never been cleaned and lies in the National Archives. It will not be seen in public until at least 2103, According to Kennedy family wishes. It's kind of weird that they were like, yeah, we should hold on to this. And like, you know, I mean. Well, you can still see um, Franz Ferdinand's regalia that he was wearing. That's on display. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is of historical significance, um, but it is also it's weird. Weird. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not gonna sit here and say that's not weird. That's yeah. weird. Yeah. We need to do a JFK episode, and we are gonna do a JFK episode. We've talked about this. It's gonna be a hard one to do. It's gonna be well. There's there's like probably seven JFK episodes. You can't do just one because there's too many facets. Or we do none because 
I mean, we could sum it all up. You think there was a conspiracy and I don't. No, we must do an episode. <laughs> Anyhow, that's our show for today. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check us out on all the socials. Say hey. Love to hear from you. Say hey. I was just kidding about not doing a show. We're going to do a show. Of course. We're and do a show. Uh, yeah. And look out for uh, for a show in the future, not right away, about more. If you like Nazis and drugs. <laughs> what a, boy, have I got more for you. <laughs> what a great way to end it. Thank you <laughs> and goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Fact Smacks. We hope you enjoyed our show. If you want to hear more, be sure to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash facts schmacks. Or you can check us out on Facebook or on YouTube or on twitter.com at factschmackedpod. We also have a website, factschmacks.xyz, because we know you haven't had enough yet. Sure. <laughs> <laughs>